Well, I really do appreciate the opportunity to um, preach this morning. It is not often that I get to preach. As the director of missions, if you don't know me, I'm the director of missions of the Baptist Association here that basically geographically goes from Danville to Bloomington. And I enjoy that. I get to go sit in on a lot of churches. I get to sit down with pastors during the week and hear their hearts and encourage them and challenge them, I hope. Um, but I don't get a chance to preach a lot. And I was just telling Chet yesterday when I was uh, looking over my notes, I was going, man, it used to be I could work on it during the week and there would be a time, boom, it's done, it's ready to go and all that. But all week long, I was like going, man, what about this? And what about that? You know, when you don't preach a lot, you got a lot to say, right? So, and I don't see a clock around here. So, so uh, fortunately, I do have one right there. But anyway, we are going to, Look into a, just a, honestly, it's one verse. John, John chapter 15, verse 8. We're going to look into that one verse, and we're going to break it down into three parts. Uh, when I was asking the elders about what they would like for me to share, what they would like for me to preach on, if they had a passage, if they wanted me to kind of fall in line in Hebrews and all that, and what I heard from Chet especially was to preach strategy. What is it that you believe the church needs to be doing? How we need to move forward and all that. And I believe that there's so many verses out there. I mean, we could have done it real simple with the Great Commission and Acts 1-8 and all of these verses where Jesus is telling the church what to do. But I believe in this verse right here, especially this time of year, we just celebrated Easter and we're, we're the resurrection and all that. Jesus here in chapter 15, he is sitting down with the disciples and he is Basically, he is trying to cram three years of training and all this at that one meal. He is re he's reminding them. He's encouraging them. He's trying to comfort them. They're, they're, they've got questions. They, and so he's doing all of these things. And in this one verse, he says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And so we're going to look at this and three different ways. And the first one is, is that we were created to glorify the Father. Jesus is telling them, my Father's glorified in this. He didn't just tell them that so that they can go on to the next thing, bear fruit. He was telling them that because he's, he's emphasizing this over and over again. All throughout the scriptures, he is talking about what it means. Paul did in first in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, right? He said, in whatever you eat or drink or in every, anything that you do, do all to the glory of God. That's, that, that's, that's what he was, whatever it is that you do. Jesus even told the disciples, when he was talking at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 16, he was going, as you walk in the light, right? He, he, was, he, he was talking about, let your light so shine let your light so shine before men. Listen to this. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that when they see your good works, when they see what you're doing, they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus was telling them at that time, he says, let your, and listen, let your light shine before men so that when they see your good works, what good works is he talking about? Is he talking about feeding people? Probably. He talks about taking care of the poor, right? But he says, do it in such a way that when they see that, they glorify God. I, I have a phrase I use with a lot of our pastors when we talk about, you know, we're dreaming dreams about what God wants to do in our churches and, 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 and stuff like that. And I, and, and, and I like to say something like, why? 
is this something that the Rotary Club can do? Why are we celebrating things that the Rotary Club can do? We want to celebrate things only God can do. And so how do you take what you're wanting to do there? And listen, there's ways of doing, doing that. How do you take what you want to do there and celebrate it in a way that only God can do? I'll give you one example. I was a pastor in Maine for six years. And we had a food pantry. And I went down there one Monday night just kind of hanging around with them. And boy, they were giving away food. I mean, they, there were people coming for those two hours that afternoon. And they had boxes of food and they were just giving it away. And at the end, when they closed everything up and I was talking with the guy who was running it, I was just asking him, do you guys ever pray for the people? Do you ever find an opportunity to share Jesus with these people? Do you ever figure out a way that we can bless them in, in their needs? Whatever they're hurting in or whatever they, they might, there might be something going on in their life that we can come alongside and help them with in the name of Jesus. And so all they started doing, I told them, here's your assignment next week. Just start praying for people. Take the food out to their car, sit down and say, listen, we want to pray for you. What are some things we can pray for you about? And that turned into gospel sharing opportunities. And that turned into just seeing people blessed. And there were some people who were engaged with the gospel. And there were some people, not as many as I would like, who did get saved through that ministry. But it was something that in the early days, for, they will tell you for years they were giving away food and they saw nothing going on. But once they started engaging them with the work, with the, the light that is shining, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they glorify God, not pat you on the back. Thank you very much. And they started seeing some cool things happening just through that food pantry ministry. In Romans 1, Paul tells them, so for even though they knew God, they did not honor God. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of the corruptible man. This is one of those negative ways that they knew God. They were aware of God. And so in one of the ways that I like to define what it means to bring glory to God, because listen, you can, we can sit down and have, you know, I've read blogs and books and things about what does it mean to glorify God? What is glory to God and all that? And you can come up with all sorts of, but what I, what I have found is one simple thing for me is recognizing who he is and responding in a way that's according, it's, it's according, accordingly. You know what I'm saying? It's like recognize who he is. Who is he? And, recognize, and, then, and then respond to that in a way that he deserves to be responded to. It could worship and praise. And we think of those kind of exaltation. We think of those kinds of words when we think of glory and how do we respond to that. But it's also surrender, serve, those kinds of words as well. And so when they... When, when they knew God, but did not respond to him, they did not bring glory to him. You see that? When they saw, they, they knew who God was, but did not honor him as God, they embraced the things that were created by man and did not glorify the Father. They did things their way and did not do things the way that honored God. And listen, there's going to come a time. Listen, we were created to glorify the Father, right? We were created to glorify the Father. There's going to come a time when 
Everyone is going to recognize who he is and respond in a way that he deserves. Philippians says that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It talks about those who are above the earth, those who are on the earth, and those who are below the earth. It's not talking about just the saints, just the angels. It's talking about everybody. There will be a day when it doesn't matter, when we stand in before God in all his glory, if we did not honor him in this life, we will still bow down, confess with our mouth that he is Lord to the glory of God. So we were created to bring glory to God. And Jesus is reminding his disciples in this one verse, actually many verses, but in this one context here, he's saying, my father is glorified in this. My father was glorified with what I'm about to, is is glorified in what I'm about to tell you. And what he tells them is that, that you would bear much fruit. God is glorified as we bear fruit. We were not just created to glorify God. We were called to bear fruit. Fruitful living. Now, as I have studied over the years, many years ago, I kind of broke it down into three kind of categories of what fruit is. One of those is the fruit of the Spirit. We're familiar with that in Galatians 5. It's, 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 it's one of those one of those things that as we, uh, as, as we come to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit comes within us and we continue to surrender ourselves to God, He works in us. And, 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 and what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, I didn't memorize that just because I'm a smart guy. Uh, we were back here going through the children's training this morning. They were talking about when you do verse memorization with children, sometimes it's good to put it to a song. And all that. And the way I remember it is, I became a Christian when I was 22 years old. And I started working at a a conference center. And then before long, I was working with youth in summer camps called Centrifuge. And there was a, they started one of their events one night. The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Y'all remember that? Any of y'all remember that song? No? The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's how I learned the fruit of the Spirit. As 25 years old, through that song, I learned that verse. But those verses, one of the things I learned back then was it's not just this is a fruit and this is a fruit and this is a fruit. They're all connected in some way. You cannot be good at one and bad at another and think, oh man, I'm growing in the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and by the way, before we, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of David Hutton. It's not the fruit of fill in your name. It is the fruit of the Spirit. What we allow the Spirit to do in us as He transforms us, as we are walking in obedience and applying the things to our lives, the fruit is able to transform us in such a way that these attributes start growing in our lives. And I learned a while back. I used to think, man, they were just, man, I'm, I'm so bad at patience. I used to think that, but man, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm kind. I can be long-suffering to a certain extent. I can be loving or whatever, you know. I, but what I found out was that if I'm not patient, then what am I not patient about? How is that showing love and joy and peace and all that? 
I was sharing with our community group how one of, my, one of the ways that God shows me that I ain't arrived yet is in traffic. I'm just not patient in traffic. And, and if any of you have ever lived in places where we lived in India, you would know that traffic is just something. It's, it, you, there's no traffic around here compared to there. Two million people. We live in a small town of two million people with no red lights. Just imagine the log jams. There were times I, I didn't ride in a car. I rode around on a scooter because I could hop through yards on sidewalks and even sometimes go through stores just to get around from one block to another, just to, just to get around these traffic jams. I mean, if it wasn't the cars, it was the elephant or the camel or something that was in the road. And so, you, you, you know, and, and on my little scooter, I did not have patience to drive a car because I would be doing what every, all those two million people are doing, and that is the laying on of the horns continuously. You do not stop hearing horns in India. And so I show up in America, and the first thing I do is I can't drive on the left side of the road, right? I, and so I, I'm, but, but I'm behind people that are, okay, this is a 35-mile-an-hour speed. Why aren't, we going, why aren't we going 20? What's up with this? I got to get from point A to point B. What you got going on is not as important as what I, would you please get out of my way? How does that show in love? How's that show in joy or peace or kindness or goodness. You see, all of these things are connected in some way. They're not just one thing we work on here or there. It's all of these things are some way. And it's not something that we get to pick and choose. Because I promise you, as soon as you say something like, man, I'm doing pretty good at patience. I don't want to be around you this week. Because God's going to reveal. He's going to show. He's going to put a mirror up to your face right in the middle of something. And you're going to say, oh, that is ugly. I don't that is not who I thought I was. All of these things are working together. The fruit of the Spirit is there because God wants to work in us so that He can work through us. And the way He works through us is through the fruit of obedience. That's the second fruit. The fruit of obedience. Jesus, He said, I'm sorry, Paul said in Ephesians, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. Now I want you to see what he said here. He didn't, he didn't say, you know, if you go do deeds of darkness, you get a different kind of fruit. No, what he said is it's unfruitful. There's no fruit there. Jesus did say here when he's talking about I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot bear fruit apart from him. And so abiding in him, being connected to him like a branch is to a vine, a, 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 a getting everything we need from him is the way that we abide in him. And that's the way we are able to walk in a way that is worthy of his great love unfruitful deeds of darkness when we walk in a way that is not worthy of his great love we don't bear fruit at all but Paul did point out in Philippians chapter 4 verse 17 he says not he, he's talking about a time here I want you to get your head around this the Philippian church has just blessed Paul with a financial gift 
All right, Paul's doing ministry, and man, he's, he, whether he's out there do, or he's in prison, there are churches sometimes give him, give him funds or resources or send people to him to minister to him or something like that. But in Philippians chapter 4, he is referencing, he's thanking them for their gift. But in verse 17 of chapter 4, he says this, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the fruit which increases to your account. Now, was he talking about because they gave money, God going to give me money back? No, that's not what he's talking about here. I believe what he's talking about here, and he shows evidence, evidence of this throughout the scriptures, is that as we, as the Philippian church has obeyed God in their generosity toward Paul, that God is going to provide them opportunities to even be more generous down the road. Not necessarily with money gifts, talents, whatever it is they have, their homes as they show hospitality, God is going to give them the capacity to increase in the way they have obeyed. As they walk with him, as they obey him, there is a greater capacity for us to even more so be generous, more so be loving, more so be patient as we obey him in these things that this is the way that God works, not just in us, but he works through us. This is when we become Christ-like, as we are transformed more into his likeness. The only way this happens is through Christ Jesus in us, working through us. That's the only way that happens. To die to everything that I am, to die to everything that you are, whatever it is you bring to the table, you die to that, you nail it to the cross, you give it to Jesus, and you let him do what he wants in you. I'll tell you, when I, when I became a Christian at age 22, you would have never thought at that time that you would be seeing this guy so many years later standing up here in front of a group of people because I did not sit like sitting in a room opening my mouth with just four or five people. I was that shy. If, 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 a lot of people don't believe this. I took this Myers-Briggs thing s several times, and every time I do, I'm an introvert off the chart. And there are people right now, you're going, wait a minute, I've seen you. You, you know, you, that's, you're not introverted. You must have been lying on that thing. <laughs> I am very much introverted in that I, I, can, I can do things around people, but I need to step back. This is, that drains me. I need to step back into my closet and recharge my batteries. When Shannon and I first got married, I'd be in ministry, in youth ministry there in Connecticut. And as soon as I'd come home, she'd be waiting in the kitchen just ready to pounce on me. With all, and, and I was like, I don't need this. I don't want to hear this. Would you mind just, and let me have some quiet. And, and what, we came to an agreement that as soon as I walked through the door, give me some time downstairs. Let me unplug, read the paper, whatever. For about an hour, I'll come up. And, we, and that's, that, that's, that's what I needed. We didn't know that until years later. We took this Myers-Briggs, went through counseling and all that, and found out that's just something we need. But God will use that, change that in me, so that there are, I can stand before people and proclaim His truth. And it is only because I did not use my shyness as an excuse. God pulled this out of me, and I'm able to stand before people, not as David Hutton, but as a proclaimer of the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants to do in each one of us. And listen, I, I'm, I'm the first one to tell you, I have not arrived. There is by no means have I arrived. God is still working on me. 
And he will continue to work on me as I allow myself to be in his hands and pliable and like, like clay that he can continue to mold me into what he wants me to be. But as I go through this journey, I will allow him to do that to work in me so that he can work through me. And that's what he wants to do. God created us to glorify him. And he called us to fruitful living. Fruitful living in, in us, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruitful living through us, the fruit of obedience. And they work together. If, if he's working in you, he can't help but bust out of you. If he's not coming out of you, that is a good way to determine that he might not be fully allowed to work in you that he wishes. That's a hard thing for some people to hear. If you sit back and think about it, if he's just not busting at the seams to get out of you, then what is it that you're not allowing him to do in you? Because if he's in you, he wants to bust out of you and work through you. That's how he works. The third thing is the fruit of converts. Jesus said in John 4, 36, Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So this idea of, of sowing and reaping, or I don't want you to hear this, he, he, he puts the two together that they're both going to rejoice. Listen, I... I'm not, when I was overseas, I did not lead a lot of people to faith. You would think 14 years living as a missionary, man, surely that guy has seen people come to faith. Yes, I have. But very seldom did I see them come to faith with me sitting down at a cafe with them having a conversation. What I saw many times was God already at work in them when it did happen. God already at work at them and somehow God was able to work, bring us together so that the gospel could be cleared up in their minds from what they heard before and they received Christ, they embraced Christ at that time. That is what I have seen more than anything. But I can't tell you the number of people I've sat down with and frustratingly walked away from, shared the gospel with because they did not receive it just going, oh God, man, I want to see somebody come to faith. God, please, I, I, I want to have something here that I can celebrate. But he says... The sower and the reaper will rejoice together as the fruit of eternal life produces itself. Paul actually says to the church in Rome, he says, Often I have planned to come to you so that I may obtain some fruit from among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul is telling the church there in, or people there in Rome that he desires to come to them. He's been held back for this reason or that reason, but he wants to come preach the gospel to them. And in verse 13, he says, I desire to have some fruit from among you. Paul had that gift, right? He had that gift where he could stand before people and communicate and God would move and people would respond. Paul saw a lot of reaping, but Paul saw a lot of sowing that he didn't see the results of also. He did a lot of things that he did not see the results of, but because he invested himself in training other people, he saw all of Asia hearing the gospel. 
If you look in, 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 in Acts where he's meeting with the disciples in, Acts of, in the halls of Tyrannus, he actually is training them to go out and to preach the gospel. He doesn't go into Asia. But all these people do, and it says, and all of Asia heard the gospel, heard the word of the Lord. So Paul not only was instrumental in seeing people come, he was also instrumental in seeing people go trained so that the people that's the way I believe that's the way the church in Colossae was established that Paul trained Epaphras there in the halls of Tyrannus in Ephesian in Ephesus and then when he went back to Colossae I believe he was instrumental in starting the church there and so we were created to glorify the father we were called to be fruitful and the way God does that he does that in me through the fruit of the Spirit, He does that through me. Through the fruit of obedience, He does that around me. And the fruit of converts. All right? The last part of that verse where He says, My Father is glorified in this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be My disciples. He says, you can prove. You, you, you need to, you, you, this will prove if you are My disciples. And so, to, to one extent, it is, it is something that you can observe. Making disciples is something that you can observe. When, when you see my life, I should be able to honestly, not only me, but as I listen to other guys that I'm connected to, determine if I am a disciple and if I am making disciples. Because we were not just created to glorify God. We were not just called to be fruitful. But we were also, we were also throughout the script, New Testament, compelled to make disciples. And you say, wait a minute, he says prove you are a disciple. If you are a disciple, you will be a disciple maker. All right, we, all we need to do is go back to the Great Commission. There in Matthew, when he's talking to his disciples, and what does he tell them to do? Go, make disciples. And when you make disciples, what do you do with them? You baptize them. Okay, what else do you do? You teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, which includes go and make disciples. That's one of the reasons why I believe when Paul was telling Timothy and, 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 and there in 2 Timothy 2.2 when he says, Timothy, the things that I share with you, you share to faithful men who will in turn tell others. Paul was basically, I believe, laying out a roadmap saying that the success of my ministry is not just in what you do, Timothy, but it's what's done in two, three generations down. That if I can see that what I have done in you is not just good for you, but you see how it's good for others, and you do that, and then they see how it's good for others, and they do that, and honoring God through that whole process, that we are not just about making disciples around me, but that we are looking at growing like, y'all know what kudzu is? Anybody here know what kudzu is? Kudzu, if you've ever been in the southeast, you've seen it on, on, on telephone poles, up trees and everything. You, can't, you know, there was a time they thought you can't stop that stuff. Making disciples should be spreading like kudzu. And we should be able to look at, you know, I have discipled this guy and seen him, and, I, and then that guy is discipling this guy, and that guy's. Because if they're not catching what's in you, you haven't fully discipled them. If they're just a, oh man, I'm enjoying sitting here in the grace of God and worshiping in this church, and man, this is, I get such a warm fuzzy when I'm here. 
And then when I go outside, man, it's back to school and it's back to work and it's back to your neighborhoods, it's back to the marketplace and there's no intentional thought about the gospel. That, that, that's not being a disciple. You might be saved. That's not being a disciple the way the scriptures here is teaching us because to, make a, to be a disciple is to make disciples, is to be intentional about taking what we have and passing that on to other people. And to not want to do that Shows us, listen, it sh- this is how it's observable to us. It shows us, is God working in me? Is the fruit of the Spirit growing in me? Is the fruit of obedience working through me? Is He working through me? Because listen, if He's in you, He is wanting to bust out and reach others through you. And so, my Father is glorified in this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. This has to be an intentional act. It has to be something that we don't react to. It's something that we are intentional about in our walk every day. And it means, listen to this, and it means that our lives will be turned upside down if we do this right. There's a lot of kids that just walked out of this room, wasn't there? A lot of people in here got babies, right? Let me ask you a question. When you got married, you were enjoying life together, weren't you? Having fun. I know Shannon and I, when we were in New England, man, we were, we were going to bed and breakfasts in Vermont on Cape Cod. We were all over New England just checking the sights out. And, and as soon as we started thinking about having a, ba- having a baby, you know what? We kept doing those things, didn't we? We kept spending money. We kept going out and doing stuff that we wanted to do like that all the time. Whenever I mean, we would spur at a moment. Thursday, hey, what are we doing this weekend? I don't know. Let's go to Cape Cod. Boom, we're gone. That's just what we did. No, when we started talking about having a baby, our lives changed. We started thinking about the space that we had, right? We started thinking about our home. We started thinking about, man, what do we have to bring to the table? Parenting skills, what do we have? We had to learn how to be parents And if we're intentional about that, we start learning some things beforehand, right? Me, I had to learn to get over this birthing process. It was, I'm not not going there. It was something for me to get beyond. And then when the baby is born, do our lives change? (laughs) They better. For the good of that child, right? For the good of the child. Our lives change. We start doing things not based on what we want to do necessarily, but what is good for that child. To what end? To see this child grow, to mature, to be a contributor more than a consumer in, in, in society, right? To be a contributor more than consume, so that they grow, and at some point in time down the road, they will reproduce themselves. It takes just as much of an effort to intentionally engage a culture around us with a discipleship-making strategy as it does with, because we are, are, we, we've got to commit space, energy, effort, resources, everything. Change everything that we have done in the past if we are going to move from not making disciples to making disciples. And so... Where are we? I don't know where you are. I know where I am. God continually, listen, I've, 
I've been in churches in uh, New England for 10 years, overseas for 14 years, and, 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 and in between I've done all sorts of things. I'm still finding ways that I am not plugging in and doing things, and I'm still surrendering things to God as I go through this process. But I have found myself more intentional as I go into a subway station, a subway to get a sandwich to talk to the little Indian lady behind the counter. I found myself more intentional as I'm sitting down someplace and some guy next to me starts talking to me and, and I don't want to be bothered. You've been there before? I don't want to be bothered. Please, I'm here. I got some quiet time. I need to think about something. Don't bother me. And this guy, he brings up something and you, and it, you realize it's an open door that God just said, if you don't do it, you're not allowing me to work through you. And so I pull a napkin aside and I start working through the gospel presentation the way, one of the ways we do it through three circles and and give that napkin to him. And did, he t- did he accept the gospel there? No, but God wanted to work through me at that time to teach me something and to get the gospel to him. That I need to be more intentional and sensitive to how the Spirit is moving around me. And the only way I do that is if I allow him to move me into those uncomfortable situations at that point and in the days and weeks and months and years to come. I will, bec- I will be more sensitive. I will be more aware. I will be more intentional as I am moving about my days. And so, church, we are created to glorify God, to be fruitful and reproduce ourselves in others. Let's pray. Father, I lay these words out there for you to move in our lives to get rid of, to help people to ignore the things that they don't need to listen to, and to, we trust you, Father, to put those nuggets of truth that were in that message in the forefront of our minds, that we might recognize your work in us, how you want to work through us, and how you want to affect the world around us. Father, we are grateful for what Jesus did for us on that cross Help us to show that gratefulness by allowing him to work in us and through us. Our desire, Father, is to honor you in everything that we think and say and do. Help us to walk in a way that is worthy of your great love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.